Hey, should we start the show, maybe? Sure, why not? All right, you're listening to the Sunnyside Podcast Show with me, PJ. Me, Ron. Scott. <laughs> hey, cue the theme tune. Keep on Sunnyside, always on. probably start by apologising for not having an episode last week. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was very remiss of uh, you, Ron. That was my fault. No, it wasn't. It wasn't your fault. I was in New York, right? So that I was in New York until the Monday morning, which meant we couldn't record on the Sunday, which is when we normally record. And then I, I like I just backed my wife and looked after the kids for a week. So it was like, ooh, I don't feel like I can run off. I know I've just arrived, darling, but I'm away <laughs> to record a podcast with me chums. So I had to stay for a while. And then... I think the only day we could get together was the Thursday. I wanted to get it recorded in the well, Thursday. Well, yeah, it was going to be tight anyway because like recording on Thursday and releasing it that night was going to be yeah. impossible. Ridiculous. That's why Plus I suggested you, you do it live. You had viral, you have I'm viral not sure bronchitis. What you think doing it live <laughs> is different from anything else. <laughs> Let's go I mean, live. Te- technically, <laughs> we record all of this live. Just people don't get to hear it until later. Well, no, but that's because it's a little bit edited. Whereas if it was totally live and just well, what busy what you mean is just about editing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we, we didn't get because of that we didn't get recorded to the show and so we kind of thought, do you know what, let's just uh, what I liked was the cowardly way that Scott went when I said why don't we just do a skip week and uh, and uh, Scott went oh thank god someone yeah. else said it because yeah. I really wanted to do that and I didn't want to say yeah I mean so, I would have went I would have braved it out and went said yeah no problem come <laughs> on come on round but <laughs> I, I really could have done with a night off this is quite minimal <laughs> as is so it's no skin I, off I, your I nose I just couldn't have had you around here for the, it was basically the sick house here <laughs> on Thursday night <laughs> Plague, big plague axe on the door. Mm. So anyway, I was in New York for a week. No Ron, are you feeling me. better? Fuck you. I'm feeling I'm feeling ninety three percent. Okay, that's not bad. That's not bad. Slightly worrying. We came in. He sat down, took some medicine first of all, <laughs> well, and he went, "It's fine, helping. guys. I'm pretty sure I'm not infectious." Like that's the assurance. Like if you <laughs> if you got into if you were in your twenties and you're about to bed a lovely lady and she goes. I'm pretty sure I'm not infectious. You would be out that door like a whippet. You I have a ninety-three percent certainty. <laughs> yeah, it's, diff- it's different. It's different. It's different if she. G- it, it's different if she gave a number. <laughs> if she's like, if she said, "I'm pretty sure I'm not infectious." That's that's a low, lot. Of, low to mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, but if, yeah, if she says low to mid, if she says ninety-three percent certain that whatever I had is cleared up. I mean, I mean, I don't wanna, I, it seems this seems sexist, but it seems to, like the only way that could go because we're three blokes talking. But like, if, yeah, it could if, be a girl or a guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. whatever. If you yeah. were about to bed someone and they said, "I'm ninety three percent yeah positive, I'm not infectious." I mean, positive is not the right yeah, word yeah. to use there. Yeah, that's the- <laughs> <laughs> Plus, if she's, I'm ninety three percent positive. I'm not. I'm not sure that's the way that works. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like that's a good number. That's a good number. That's you, a number where you you're like, your like on that one, yeah, you? like that's a, that's a number where you have to stop for a minute and go, okay. Yeah, I, I don't mind spend uh, like a few hours in a room with that person, but not any no closer, no no closer than a room. It's fine if they're breathing in the same room as me, but no part but of not me. inside. <laughs> no, no, no part of their body entering yours, or vice versa. 
But look, I think what we're seeing yeah, like terrible. Yeah. yeah. You guys are awful. Although, um, if somebody you, said, oh, if yeah. somebody said, although if you were desperate, you'd go with ninety-seven. No, but, 90, no, ninety-two. Uh, 80, no, but I'm just thinking eighty-four percent. You'd go. Do you know what? It's been a rough week. I'll take it. Yeah. I'll, I'll go with that. That's fine. But if somebody said, no, I don't think I don't think this is equitable. But what if somebody said, I have a I have a sandwich that's ninety-three percent sandwich. And what for it's what seven percent what seven percent what just other <laughs> it's it's ninety it's ninety three percent regular sandwich ingredients seven percent seven percent I don't really want to say the unknown it's yeah seven percent yeah. I, I, I don't no, think, I, probably, I don't, it's probably best if we don't know yeah probably probably, I don't, I, but I don't know if I eat that <laughs> no, I'm ninety three percent certain this is vegetarian. Oh, I'd eat that, yeah. Like, but, uh, yeah, but that's because you're not a vegetarian. Yeah. No, I'm 93% this is vegetarian. We'll take it back. Bring bring me something that is 0% vegetarian. <laughs> I'm 93% certain this plane's going to land safely. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good percentage for that, is it? No, that's... A- I think, I, I think I'm still going, yeah. Okay, yeah. I feel like if a pilot thinks it's around anything less than 99%, you don't want a pilot to announce it. I feel, I yeah. feel like if anything below that, you're going to go, 98%, that seems, why 98? That seems Where's like the uncertainty w- in this one? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would, that would, mean, that, yeah, that would mean that seven out of every hundred planes crashed. Mm. That's it, that's... Yeah, these odds are not. I no, mean, these are odds a, are good for some odds. things, but yeah. not, not good. Yeah, for it's funny things. how that so works. The sort, of, sort of, the sort of odds you'd accept for a leg over, you wouldn't take for a, <laughs> a transatlantic flight, is what you're saying. Listen, when I was a student, there was never a ninety-seven percent chance of me getting a leg over. Let me <laughs> put that to bed. Uh, um, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! So we're back and we started off strong. That's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's good. Well, there's nine. Coming out of the block swinging. <laughs> but don't worry, folks. That's we're about to gas ourselves right out. <laughs> that's a that's a fight reference for all you. Is, is that what yeah. I was? Thank God, because yeah. I was a bit worried <laughs> for a second. So how was New York? New York. Oh, thanks for asking. Oh, that's very, that's very... That's got some real giggly form today. Yes. Really? What has happened? Have you not got enough sleep or something? What's going on? What's no, going on in I'm, your life? What's I'm going feeling on? pretty good. Well, how come? Um... Let's just let's just clear the air, right? So, Scott arrived and said, "Ron, can you do me a favor?" <laughs> uh, and Ron goes, "What is it? Because we come here." No, what Ron wasn't trepidatious about it in no, the slightest. Well, we were you were trepidatious about him doing me a favor. Well, no, first of all, first of all, what you said was, um, "I have a favor," right? Which is like you have a favor to give or ask. It, it, it was very guarded. Like I didn't want to say I have a favor. Just I have a favor. Ninety-three percent certain I have a favor. <laughs> the seven percent chance that the favor is me doing you a favor. Yeah, yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a good chance the other way around. And and then you kind of went, can you maybe put some films on a disc for me? With all the jet films, all aren't they purchased? Purchased films. Yeah, it doesn't feel any more. It feels like <laughs> if they're purchased, it makes them no more legit if he's no. copying them for you. No. That's not the way that works. I'm just borrowing them. But you're borrowing films anyway. And and uh, Ron says, yeah, that's fine. And then. Ron starts getting all the cables out and the gear out for recording the podcast, which is a good, engaged, long process. Ron does all this work. I mean, he clearly puts more effort and time into this show than the rest of us do. I'd be number two in that <laughs> list. <laughs> number and, two and, on most lists. Right, well, I mean, I, and and I, Scott would come down below Susie. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no shit, Susie cleaned this room before you came <laughs> I know, in. I know. <laughs> Susie got you Diet Coke. I mean, now I got you Diet Coke the last time we I recorded. I just said so... blew your rabbits, but I never <laughs> haven't seen your rabbits so, in a long time. They're I said, dead. I said to Susie, uh, yeah, we're doing a podcast, and she says, oh, I better clean the living room. And then I sat here and watched a movie which she cleaned around me. <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but, but I let it happen. You're sick. As I say, more effort than Scott puts in. <laughs> so anyway, Ron's doing all this. And, and from his little bag, Scott clutches out his hard disk and puts it there. And I'm looking at this thing going, he, he wants Ron to do this now. He, he wants Ron to do this now. But Ron hasn't twigged that he wants him to do it now. And Scott's too much of a wimp to say anything about it. Not wimp, polite. Polite. <laughs> oh, God. Polite. I just thought that it would be the most time, the the best use of our time <laughs> would be to have it going in the background. Because Ron doesn't want to have me hanging around after the podcast finished, waiting for a bunch of but movies Ron's to transfer onto I'm my hard drive. Just get on with the show and do the show. <laughs> and Scott's sitting there looking at his hard drive and you can see him looking at it, thinking to himself, come on, Ron, come on. Look at it, look Not at it. it. Notice the hard drive. Notice the the freebies. <laughs> And so I said to uh, I said, would you would you maybe like to record that all those things now while we're doing the show? Because that's clearly what uh, Scott is after. And Scott went, yeah, 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 <laughs> that's what I want. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I'm pathetic. saving You're us pathetic. time. I'm saving us time. <laughs> <Fat off. laughs> saving PJ Harvey was New York. Oh yeah, New York, right? <clears throat> New York was good up until I left. Right, so. I was in- <laughs> New York Comic Con, uh, uh, for those that don't know, is a massive comic convention in New York. Started in Clues 2006. In the name. 2006 was the last time it was on. And, um, 2006 was the last time it was, it was the on? the first time it was on. Sorry, oh, first right, okay. time. Really? Yeah, it started in 2006. Okay. So, uh, and it's in this place called the Jacob Javits Center. It's since, uh, it's it's more or less eaten the entirety of the Jacob Javits Center since 2006 when I first went. And it was about half the size. It's now like the entirety of the Jacob Javits Center. And that's a fucking huge building. That sort of spans four blocks across the way. So it's it's really massive. And um, up until I went, I was like going, I said to Nat, I, we can't, I don't know if we can afford this. It's going to be expensive. It's, it's like a 350 pound flight. Not too bad, right? 350, not too bad. Uh, but there, there was also, I was sharing with a friend of mine, Rob Williams, who had kind of gone, I'm too old for this shit of going to conventions and staying in a crappy apartment or staying somewhere awful. So I'm going to book us a nice hotel. Me and me will share like $750 it was going to cost, or £750 to, to share this place with Ro- uh, Rob for a week. And I'm going, I could, if I just paid uh, this, it would basically, I wouldn't. That would be it. That would be the only expense. I wouldn't have any other expenses to deal with just that. Uh, and I was going, oh, well, no, go go anyway, go anyway. So I went. It was really fucking expensive. Uh, and I took about $600 with me, thinking that should do me for six or seven days. And it, and it sort of did me, but only because I sh- ended up sharing the table with um, Nick uh, Roach, uh, for, uh, who does a lot of Transformers stuff. And uh, it made a little bit of pocket money, not very much. But it was good. It stayed good. And New York is, I went to see... Uh, I I kind of arrived in New York. Here's the thing. I arrived in New York. I got to New York, got to the hotel, sat down. I was sitting in this empty hotel looking around me thinking, I'm I'm feeling a bit lonely. I've been traveling now at this point for like, I don't know, nine or ten hours. I left Belfast at one o'clock in the morning. Fire up Tinder, is that (laughs) (laughs) thing? No. I left Belfast at half one in the morning and ended up in New York sort of equivalent of our time of, of, you know, 
I don't know, the next day. It was like 12, 15 hours of travelling or something. It was a ridiculous amount of travelling because the flight left at about 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, so from half one to 8 o'clock, and then the flight was another five hours, so it's quite a lot of being awake. That was, that, was, that was just number. Like they, I don't understand the numbers. The same <laughs> thing. I don't. Yeah. I, Ju- Judith Chalmers did this way better. <laughs> yeah, she did, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sitting there, right, and I see from out in the lobby a taxi pull up, and out of the taxi uh, comes my friend Mike Mulcher. Mike Mulcher is the PR guy from 2000 AD, and Mike's lovely wife Catherine, who I've met one time before, right, and I'm so excited. I oh, can't I, I don't forget like myself. I, I don't like where this is I going. Run up the in mic my head, Mike's go, wife's going, "Oh Jesus Christ." <laughs> Look, you're looking for the toilets or something? <laughs> That's exactly what happened. <laughs> I ran off the mic and went, Ah, Mike! And he was like, Oh, fuck! <laughs> and she, she's just staring at me like, Oh my God, we're about to be killed in New York by a madman. <laughs> and, and she genuinely looked afraid. And, and Mike was genuinely repulsed. And I'm like going, Ah, nobody, why is this doesn't seem to be going down the way I was expecting? <laughs> So anyway, I'm thinking... So you take, I'm, so you take the bag off your head? <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of thinking, I might be an asshole. And that's, that's the takeaway I've got. I might be an asshole. Uh, and I, but it was nice, and then I went off to, to uh, see this, the US Intrepid, which is a big uh, aircraft carrier. Oh, on the plane over, I watched Das Boot. <laughs> right? Okay. I thought... I thought, what would be a good film to watch on the plane? A really long plane journey. The Hobbit three times. Well, that's one thing I could have watched. <laughs> what was that? What's that reference to? That's, was that that's, that's we what talking? I did on the way to San Francisco. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. No, I, I thought I'll watch Das Boot because Das Boot's set in a submarine in a small round tin. I thought it'll feel very atmospheric in an airplane. Plus, it's, it's like nearly five hours long if it's the... It was the cinematic release. So oh, it was like okay. three yeah. hours long. Yeah. So it's on, 90 it's minutes. On, it's, on, <laughs> it's on Netflix, so you can download it on, on Netflix. Okay. Really good film, by the way. Really good film. Oh, it's excellent. Um, yeah. They're actually doing a remake of it at the minute. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And more, it feels more modern than you kind of imagine it would be. Yeah. I'm not sure when it was made. but uh, it's 80s. Early 80s. 80s. Yeah. I, I was talking to Garth Ennis about this, and he was saying... Um, Clang! <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to Garth Ennis a lot. Uh, he was saying that uh, he saw it when it was, it was sort of made a TV version. It was like episodic in nature and you can see the episodic nature of it you can you can sort of feel where they would cut for episodes and stuff but i watched this on the plane i thought this is great this is brilliant this is on a plane the the hum of the plane and you're watching this in a little tiny space and you've no room although weirdly the um, headphones in yeah 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 you're not sitting there no 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 Um, no, I was watching this on the airplane, and the the row the plane was half empty. There was hardly anyone in the plane, so I got three seats on my own, which That's was great. The dream. Uh, That's never on the way to me. over and the way back. Oh, it was amazing. How is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. There was a load of people in the same boat, or not the same boat, but the same airplane, same boat, <laughs> das boat that had three three seats on on their own as well. Is everybody just wandering around? And go, is this the plane from Lost? No, Are we but, dead? But, <laughs> When the when the stewardess came along and it was like getting really late, and I was like, no one else is sitting in these seats. It's really weird. And and she came on and she went. Uh, it looked obviously. I don't care how many doors. seats you have to yourself. Please put your pants back on. <laughs> well, that's they always say that to me. <laughs> they um she they they did cabin doors to whatever for air pressure. I went. This is it. This is all the people on this plane. And she went down the line and said to people who were sat together and said, look, if you want to spread out, and move around, you can do. There's plenty of room. And so people ended up with their own rules and stuff. But, it was amazing. Uh, but the how, I mean, like, if you're sitting with someone, right, they say you, some stranger sat beside you on the plane and you're chatting away, you're going, oh, you're going to New York. And then the stewardess comes along and says, you know, you don't have to sit beside him. 
And then that person goes, I don't. <laughs> oh, fuck him. Well, and he just gets up and leaves. I think there is an acknowledgement that there's not much fucking space on an aeroplane. So if you're three, if you're sat in two I'd, I'd just be like, together, no, I'm all right, thanks. Well, the, the, there was a couple right now. There's a big, large man right in front of me who kept breaking wind all the way through the flight. It was fucking gross. And the girl, a girl right behind me could smell it. You could see her holding her nose. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I kept looking at her and going, oh, shake my head, going, oh, oh, oh stinky, stinky. Like, yeah. This yeah, guy, the, this guy, that, not that, me. Yeah, that's in no way proven that it's your head. I, you know? I know. No, I was kind of going, oh, oh, it really <laughs> smells bad. Smell my farts. <laughs> Jeez, you can just hear her holding her nose. I'm going, this is that guy. It's not me. It's so not me doing this. What's the protocol then? So say this, uh, myself and Hannah been on that flight for our honeymoon. And the stewardess comes up and says, feel free to well, what, spread what, around. So uh, the couple in front I, of me. I, I would, I would want to move. The you'd couple, you'd the couple wee, in wee front of me. Yeah. The couple in front of me just, they moved, but so there was one seat between one them. One seat and between they lift them. the arms up, and then now you've got a wee bit of room to. Yeah. yeah. You've got a wee bed. Yeah. You've got a wee bed. That's not yeah. bad. Oh, yeah. Like a fucking so idiot. It didn't occur to me it was a bed until I got off the I got off the plane and I went and turned around, and, and that was fine. And then on the flight home, I saw someone lying across the and I went, oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake, that's what I should have done. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. So, so I did that in a way so back. So it's bad form if I move from like row K to row A. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Don't move yeah. too far. Okay. There's, there's, there's got to be some elasticity <laughs> in how far you're allowed to move before the elastic snaps and gets you in the eye. You yeah. um, but I, so I watched Das booting the way over. And, I, and then I went on that day, saw uh, Mike, was scared the shit out of him and his lovely wife, who I've met once. And then I kind of went to see the USS Intrepid, which is the aircraft carrier that's in New York. I thought, this is fucking great. And then I went down. There's a submarine there as Did well. Did you get onto it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get onto it and you walk around. They've got plane, other planes and the hangars and stuff. You can go cool. and see those things. And then I went onto the submarine that was there. And it's a submarine is sort of... Um, it it has these. Kind Did you of know there was going to be a submarine there? No. Oh that's... no! It was fucking. It was amazing. I was walking through the submarine, going, oh, "This is amazing! This is amazing!" I don't want to submit loads of photos. Going, this is amazing. Reference photos for a thing I'm never going to draw. Oh, incredible! And I get to this bit where a girl's going, um, you know, they've got people stationed at various points in the submarine because they are fucking small. Like there's not yeah. much room to ma- maneuver them. Uh, but where they where they where they would pilot the submarine. Uh, there was a girl sort of sitting there because it's a wee bit roomier and she was going oh I can explain all these things and she went and here's three steering wheels and you can steer this it steers the boat up and down and it steers the boat left and right da, da, da. I'm going oh I know all that <laughs> I said I watched us boot this morning on the plane on the way over <laughs> she went did you I went yeah it was amazing <laughs> she said yeah it's really good I'm going yeah this is all cool <laughs> it was great that was my first day in New York it was kind of cool it was cool 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 so and then I went met Garth afterwards and went out for a drink so there we go. And, and that was basically the rest of the week then. And you survived that then? Yeah, well, I wasn't really drinking that much. Uh, yeah, what's what's interesting to me, what I think is interesting is... Garth lives in New York now, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah well, yeah. he's he's, a, he's an American citizen now, so... Okay. Yeah, and he, and he, is, he lives in New York. We actually ended up... Uh, well, me and Garth... Well, it was a bunch of us went to Garth's house for... Uh, they went there for a, a drink and... Does he uh, live in Manhattan or does he live... Yeah. Yeah, yeah more or less sort of lower end of Midtown somewhere okay. for the stalkers out there. Um, <laughs> I, I heard, the dress I heard for a fabulous <laughs> story about an American... Well-known American comics writer who uh, who took some photos with Alan Moore. That it turns out what had happened was uh, um, I don't really want to say the name on the thing. Okay, right, right? but but uh, I, I can beep it out. Okay, well he's writing. I think he's writing. Um, okay, see so if, you, if you're actually going to describe his entire life, <laughs> that's a lot of beeping. 
okay. so maybe you don't maybe All just right. assume well, just, uh, so in case you don't know who the name is what that reference is okay I just wait. an American writer writes uh, a lot of big name uh, big two comics right? okay or is a newish newish anyway he he uh, the, he posted a photo of him and Alan Moore hanging out together and the story I heard apocryphal or no is that um, he asked someone in editorial where Alan Moore lived because he was in England and he turned up at Alan Moore's house taking photographs and Alan quite reasonably poked his head out and go Oi, what the fuck are you doing taking photos? And he went, Oi, mate. Uh, <laughs> he went, oh, just here to take photos. And then that's when he took a photo. And apparently, <laughs> not good. <laughs> no, that's not good. That's not a thing that should happen, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, that for, for a long time, uh, back when I was at my most Alan Moore obsessive, um, I, I did harbour notions of going to Northampton, roughly around, because I know roughly where he lives, yeah. and just sort of hiding behind a bush. And <laughs> that, that don't might, do that. Might no. jump out and see him. Don't do that. It, it, I mean, it is this was a long time ago. I, 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 so, I uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, yeah, so the celebrity's kind of weird. I mean, right, so later on in the week, we were out having a drink with uh, Garth. Nick Abadsis, who's a lovely guy. Nick did stuff in Deadline. He's writing Doctor Who. Where he has written Doctor Who. Uh, really lovely guy. And he, he's a friend of his came down. And his friend, it turns out, is Rufus Sewell. Okay. Right? So the American actor Rufus Sewell, best known for Dark City and also in currently in the, uh, uh, the what's it called? The Man in the High Castle. I've seen neither of those. Have you not? You've never seen Dark City? No. That's going on the classics list. Oh, Dark <laughs> City is amazing, yeah. Um, it, Dark City, completely overshadowed by The Matrix, came out the same year. So that that, that, that was the problem with Dark City. Jesus. Trod a, lo- similar a, lot ground. a lot of the same ideas. Yeah, trod very similar ground, similar notions, but... but in a kind of more fantasy. It, it was the second movie from the director of the Is that the person that you posted a picture? Yeah, yeah. Oh, all oh, right, okay. Yeah. So I just, I just thought you were posting pictures of people that you were friends with in New York. No, no, no. I didn't recognize guy, anybody super, in that picture apart from you. The super handsome guy in the middle is Rufus Sewell in the photos that uh, we'll post on the, on the blog. Uh, Good to know. And uh, so anyway, Rufus Sewell. We were chatting to Rufus Sewell. We were talking to. And I was talking to someone, as I often talk about um, comic conventions. Yes. (laughs) As I'm often talking about myself, I said comic conventions are, you know, I used to call them weekend famous because you're famous for that weekend. And Rufus Hill goes, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm antique tea shop famous. When I go into an antique tea shop, little old ladies go, oh, it's Rufus Sewell. He says, but anywhere outside of that, no one knows who the fuck I am. <laughs> what did he do in an antique tea shop to be famous in I an think, antique tea I shop? I think he did a bunch of British. Uh, he was probably his career started around the time of, uh, what's his name? Mr. Darcy, the actor who plays him. Oh, Colin, Colin Firth. Firth. Colin yeah, Firth. I think he did I some period drama stuff. probably did some period yeah. drama stuff around that same sort of time. And so little old ladies would know him from that. Yeah. Uh, rather than Dark City, and I can't imagine they're they're all little old ladies are all sitting watching. Uh, He's never had a big off. hit. He hasn't. He hasn't. It's it's all. It's kind of odd. It's famous to me because I know him from those two particular yeah. things, but seemingly not to many people. Um, Dark City is one of those movies where I always tell anyone. <coughs> now I used to tell people, don't watch the opening minute or two because mm-hmm. it has this voiceover with, with Kiefer Sutherland where oh, he basically oh, explains yeah. everything that's going to happen in the film. Because prob- presumably some, direct, some of the so, some producers of the watched it went, we don't know what the yeah. fuck is going on. But then many years later, like only five or six years ago, they released a director's cup where they've taken that out. That's oh, right. the trouble okay. Of, okay. of doing that. I so. haven't seen it in a long, long time, no, but it's it is a, a spectacular, film. spectacular film. Um, so... Yeah, so we met. We were talking to him. What else happened? The, the con itself was fucking mental. It was huge, huge and mental. I, it's weird. Like the last time I went to New York Comic Con was about eight years ago, and so you're in a different position in your career between then and now. Like when I first went out, there was a whole bunch of Brits with us that were um, uh, Rob Williams, Al Ewing, 
Um, who else was there? Fraser Irving, a few others. A bunch had a comic career with Marvel and DC, but not much of one. Much of one. It was just a start for a lot of them. Fraser was just starting his career. Rob had done a little bit, I think, for Marvel and DC. Just enough to get invited to the Marvel parties and the DC parties and be invited with a plus one. And when they were invited with Plus One, of course, they don't have another half with them. So they'd always bring another creator whose whose career hadn't quite made it yet. And uh, so, Aww. like, and there's a smell of desperation <laughs> from those people. And, and I'm talking about me here. We'd, yeah, we'd, I know. We'd go in and it would be like, oh, my God, I really want to network with all these people. But not at the Marvel party where they're going to look at me and go, how the fuck did you get in? So, <laughs> so we were kind of stealing drinks and stuff. But, th- like, this time it was like... Um, I, I emailed a couple of editors and uh, with the hope that maybe they'd have a chat with me. And at a certain level, I get a response. Like, it's mid-tier, you know, mid-tier publishers are more than happy to have a chat and stuff, which is at least more than I was doing eight years ago. Um, so that was kind of interesting. That was fun. But I, I messed it mostly up by not doing that. We used to, like, the last time we'd have gone to all the parties where Marvel uh, editors were in a kind of desperate slightly desperate hunt to see if somehow some magical alchemy would happen with an editor and they'd go, yeah, sure, I'll give you (laughs) X-Men tomorrow. Well, I'll give you X-Men as soon as you get back to Belfast. No no problem. Don't you worry about it. Um, Which, of course, never happened, but you were just the constant desperation to meet those people. Uh, And whereas this time I was kind of mostly hanging out with Rob Williams, who was mostly hanging out with Garth. So uh, it was kind of, that was odd. But it was fun. It was fun. It was good. And then I came home. And I haven't been able to draw since I came home. Oh, it's, really? It's like I've, on the run up to New York, I was doing four pages of pencils a day, and then after New York, I have not managed to get maybe three pages done in the week. It's been fucking like pulling. Well, teeth why do you think that man. is? I don't know. I think I, I don't know. There's confidence issue. You start you you do stuff and you're doing a lot of stuff, and then and then it becomes super easy to do that stuff. And then whenever you you go away and you forget it for a week, you come back to it and it's like I, I don't even know how to do this now. I don't know how to do drawing. Like, if you had a break from doing any coloring stuff, Scott, yeah, and then come back to it and go, I don't know what the uh, fuck yeah, I'm like doing. Is here. that green? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is, is this is green? Yeah, I had a quiet couple of weeks over the summer, and now I'm just kind of getting back into a busy spell. Mm-hmm. I had I had a job on every day this week, and that's the first full week that I've had for say th- maybe three or four weeks, just because mm-hmm. of the way productions have been happening. But it's like, yeah, I I did struggle. Hmm. as opposed to what I'm like if I'm doing all day every day yeah and you just kind of like this this doesn't look right and I this to me doesn't look right it's probably fine for everybody else but to me it doesn't look right and I can't really figure out why yeah this 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 shot just isn't working, working. it's it's just not working this whole it's scene like, it's feels like all the all the things you take for granted suddenly yeah. are taken away my muscle memory is still there but <laughs> my f- my feel for what my eye is I think gone. It's your confidence in yourself vanishes yeah. a little bit because you know you're sort of super confident when you've been doing it for a while. I, mean, I find like the I have yet to do the what I constantly refer to is I've yet to pull out the big guns of trying to get me to work again, which is using the Pomodoro timer and just yeah. making myself sit there and fucking do the work without any distractions. Normally, what tends to happen is I go, "This is really hard. I'm going to just wander off thinking about <laughs> something else." I'm like, I'm like. Like trying to get a drunk man to stay on a straight path when yeah. I've not been doing any work. It's like I meander left and right and everywhere, and, and you're constantly trying to correct and go, get back on the path, get back on the path. Whereas if I use a Pomodoro timer, then it sort of sticks me to the path at least for 25 minutes, and then I can meander away and come back to it. What about you, Ron? Anything like that in your day job? 
My day job? No, no, not really. Right. So the acting, you did the acting before we before we broke up last. You were in, in a play. Any more plays online? Uh, any more? No, no, no. Are you nothing, done now? Have you nothing, nothing on the horizon. Piece? I mean, people have been kind of going. <laughs> You'll be doing our panto at Christmas, and I'm like, <laughs> no, I won't. Fuck <laughs> off. Fuck <laughs> off. Uh, but um, no, I've, I mean, I've. It, it it didn't really scratch an itch or anything. I mean, yeah. I, th- I thought it was going to, but it didn't... Um, it didn't scratch an itch, didn't make you itchy? Well, I, I guess I kind of thought maybe this will maybe this will make me feel like I've done some performing again for a while. Yeah. But, I, but afterwards, I kind of I felt... Felt emptiness and cold inside. Yeah, I was just felt... Like, like either, dead? I, I either felt that that wasn't enough or that that was an awful lot of effort for not a lot of return, you know? Mm. I guess not being on the stage is a... I think that's part of it, yeah. It's a weird thing. You're just kind of in the winds, like. Also, also, it's not. I mean, it's a big role, but it's not about you. Well, yeah, it's not and the whole thing because because there was a. Cause, so you were just in case anyone's coming into this late. You were uh, Seymour. No, no, not Seymour. You were the plant. I was Aubrey. the plant. Yeah, Aubrey isn't it? Aubrey? Audrey, 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 and um, which Little is the girl's name? Why yeah. Do you, is that well, the yeah, name of his girlfriend? Because he names the plant after his girlfriend. <coughs> yeah, or so after Audrey the girl 2 then is, 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 is the character's two. name. Audrey 2 in a, a sort of young person's production of a musical, uh, of the musical Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Right. Um, Who did the voice in the original? Uh, in the movie? Yeah. Levi Stubbs from The Four Tops. Oh, okay. Which is what I tried to emulate. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I hope it didn't sound racist. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it sounded racist. <laughs> it was a problematic plant. <laughs> but um, so, but but your previous performance would have been on stage as the lead singer in a band. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that was the problem for me is in that there's the performative element of it there wasn't there. Mm. You know, I'm I'm basically concentrating on by getting the voice sounding right, rote. but I'm literally standing like off stage, and mm. I didn't even bother learning the lines. I just read them off my iPad. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, not not that anyone could tell. No, but no, no, uh, no. But um, and it's it's a performance of two halves because there's somebody moving the plant. Yeah, and he's as much of it as I am. You yeah. know, I mean, he's kind of, you know, we kind of work together on getting the the movement in sync with yeah. the the, vo- the voice. Yeah. So you know, it, I I got a lot of the credit that I think was due to him as well. It was going, okay. oh, it looked like the plant was singing. I'm like, I know, but that That's, wasn't me doing yeah, that. You know, that yeah. was someone else doing that. So. No, I mean, it's just, I, I, I would prefer to be an on stage, I think, in some yeah. sort of capacity. But, yeah. you know, that kind of spoils the illusion. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I sort of felt, feel the same after doing, after doing a lot of plays as a student and always being in lead roles or, like, main characters. And then you come back to it 20 years later and it's like, oh, you could be, like, the comedy little guy who comes on for two scenes and then leaves mm-hmm. again. It's like... Oh, it used to be about me. So I'm, I feel like, do you know what? Maybe my moment in the spotlight is gone. Maybe you know. Well, the other the other thing I kind of realized was that um, when I when I was a youngster doing this, there was a lot awful lot more self consciousness attached to it back mm. then. And now it's more I, of a challenge. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess when when you're not when you're not a man of the world and you're a, been asked and you to, are a man when of you're the world asked to been act in certain in certain ways where. Yeah. You know, you're asked, you're being asked to pretend you're in love with someone, yeah. or you're, and you're trying to portray things that you haven't experienced. Yeah. Whereas I think I could do that a lot better now because you can draw on life experience. Yeah. Whereas back then you're kind of going, well, I kind of know what they do on TV, you know. Yeah. So it's um, I think it'd be a very different kind of a uh, challenge now. Yeah. And you're you're not interested in it. <sighs> no. I mean, honestly, I'd just rather be on stage singing. So, uh, you mm-hmm. know, that that's something I've always enjoyed doing much more than acting. So, mm. 
And you have never had any interest in performing apart from stand up? No, I was in a band. I was in a band for a long time. Yeah. Okay. But uh, you don't want to come back. But he he stood off stage. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I'm like the the fifth member of U2. I'm underneath the stage (laughs) playing guitar. That's a real thing. What the fifth? Yep. Really, he plays guitar under the stage. Nobody knows who it is. Nope. Bono's ugly brother. <laughs> well, I'm sure people know who it is, but they just—he's just not on stage with the rest of the band. He's not a—he's not a member of U2. He's like, like I guess a session guitarist who comes yeah. in to fill out the sound whenever, okay. so that they it's can. The wedge. That's a shitty the wedge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, like I, I like Green Day have like one of those, those guys as well. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. In fact, I think they've got a couple of guitarists. That basically well, I mean, a well, lot like of bands do like, that. Where but there's at like least three core members, and then everyone else is just there. But at least them. bands, but bands like wait, but like Nirvana and stuff. Like they had the three core members of Nirvana, but when they went on tour, like Pat Smear would be on would stage, band, and yeah. like and he was Pat Smear, Pat Smear, yeah, yeah, that that's, was his punk name. That's not okay. Real name. That's not yeah. a real name. That's fine. Um. And then obviously he did. He has done the same with the Foo Fighters, and um, yeah. But now he's a full member. Of the is, he, is he a full yes, member like now? They consider him to be a proper member of the, of the band. Yeah, but like the bands would just do that, and you, when you saw them live, you'd be like, "Oh, that guy's there to for us. He's there okay. to to make sure that it sounds like what it does on the album and it's rich and full." But hmm. apparently, it's a bit of a dirty meanwhile, little secret meanwhile, now. Meanwhile, the the wedge is sitting in a yeah. he's basically sitting in a little room control booth of his own, yeah, playing guitar, watching with a monitor, and you know, yeah. I, I only got in it for playing the music. I yeah. don't really the audience goes I, mad, and he adulation. doesn't get to hear it. You know, yeah. I yeah. wasn't really in it for the girls or anything. Just the music, just the music, man. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm not a massive fan of performing. I when I did stand up, I found that I enjoyed writing way more than I did performing. And when I was in the band, I found that I enjoyed. I what I got out of a gig was if I got to the end and was like, Do you know what, I was technically very proficient. I didn't mm-hmm. fuck up and that kind of stuff. Not that's what I everyone, had not, not that's I what had everyone a, thinks about when they think of a band. I, was I, that technically? Good? I know, I know that's and that's why it's probably not for me. Mm. I wasn't like, oh man, I had a really good time. I really killed that show. It was just like, no, I I played, I played well. all my notes. I, yeah, played all my <laughs> In notes. The correct order. Didn't fuck up. So <laughs> I think I'm too. I think maybe I'm just too self conscious. Okay. For that sort of. I think that's what alcohol does for a lot of these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you and I wouldn't really know. No, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think back if I was drinking whenever I was in the band. I don't think that I was. You, you wanted to play those notes, right? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I needed to be sober. Okay, on a, on a different, unrelated note, yeah. why did you shave off the beard? Oh, I don't know. It was stupid. He was tired of like a grown-up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted Ralphie to Ralphie, Ralphie, Ralphie wanted some friends. You? No, he, he, he recognized me, but I said, I'd, and he's like, you shaved your beard? And I said, yeah. He's like, do you like it? And he goes, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So you're growing it back. Fair then? enough. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I felt the same whenever I was young about any changes in my dad's facial hair. I was yeah. like, yeah. should have asked first. Yeah. Yeah, Dad. Why? Why? My did sister you do that? freaked out whenever my mom got her hair cut short. Because you're gonna shave her beard. Shaved her beard. My sister freaked the fuck out. And it, which. <laughs> yeah. Well, my mom got her hair cut Jesus, short. Jesus, I'm out of the circus. I can shave my beard now if I yeah. want. It's and fine. she did the same when my dad shaved his mustache off. My dad had like a bit like full Hitler 80s mustache. mustache. Um, and when he shaved that off, my sister lost it as well. Really? Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, yeah. Um, 
So no particular rhyme. No, or no particular reason. I just thought oh, maybe I'll tr- it's time for this to go. I'll trim it. I'll trim it down. Let it kind of grow back again. again. It was it looking a bit too far. And I did like the first strip up one cheek and went, "Oh, I've made a terrible mistake." <laughs> but now I've got. Uh, but yeah, but now he's going to eat What am I going to do? I did think for a while. I was like, "Could I just keep like the goatee and like Dude, you let like, it grow in around it?" You could have done like a comb over because your beard was pretty long. <laughs> combed over that little bit, you'd have been fine. Yeah, I was just looking at it going. Fuck. Could you have worn a goatee? Would it have been too? I look. I just looked like a magician. <laughs> I, lo- <laughs> I just like I looked at. It, I was like, this doesn't look too bad. And then the more I looked at it, the more I was like, oh, I just look like a mentalist. But like an act, like somebody, <laughs> an who actual puts mentalist, yeah, not like a mental person, yeah, but an actual somebody mentalist. somebody who puts down on their job description, mentalist. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, this is not. Uh, this is not going to work. You probably shouldn't have shaved while you were in that big top hat, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the eyeliner and monocle yes. might have been a bit. <laughs> So right, um, we we next week we're going to talk about the classic we were supposed to watch, but in a in a in a moment of absolute pigheadedness, you watched um, <laughs> instead. You watched. Well, to be fair, we we had talked about this the week on our last classics. Whenever we had watched the Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, we yes. talked about the Archers and Paul and Pressburger, mm-hmm. and the other films that they'd done. And so the Archers I, is the, the name, Arch- is the company name that Paul and Pressburger put the, together that they write that they that they write and direct under. Um, and we talked about that last show um, and I know that you have a fond um, fondness for a matter of life and death yeah and it, in, it, in fact I did, I did a book uh, number cruncher which is a yes. sort of afterlife thing and and I I took from the uh, matter of life and death the idea of, of a black the and color white afterlife aesthetic, yeah. and, a, and a color yeah. sort of real real world um, and it popped up in my iTunes feed for I think it was two ninety nine oh really uh, or oh, for right. two ninety nine okay. three ninety nine for for it in, it in HD. Right, okay. Frustratingly, though, as I was looking around on the internet, there is there's been there was a 4K remaster that went to Blu-ray last year, mm-hmm. uh, towards the tail end of last year. I don't think that's what's the iTunes. Um, no, that was Criterion did that 4K one. I yeah, it's but it's uh, not even a 4K Blu-ray. It's just yeah, it's just standard. It, it's it's HD Blu-ray, not 4K Blu-ray. Yeah, but, but they went back to the 4K master and did a new color time. I am on What's it. What's a color time? It's, it's grading. They did, they went in and did a new grade. Okay. Like um, back whenever they used to do color, they yeah. literally timed how long it was exposed for. So yeah. And, 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 that, very, and, that, and oh, how long so it was oh, left right. to wash so in various chemicals. So it was literally a timing time. thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but watching this version, there, I'm just getting a technical now, which annoyed me. There's a lot of chromatic aberration. There's a lot of red and green separation mm-hmm. um, on the edges you, of you things. You have a lot of chromatic aberration. <laughs> I do. Um, a lot of that's the problems with just kind of representing technicolor really well yeah yeah in that it doesn't look like normal color yeah but frustratingly on the blu-ray reviews they said that it was like a really really cr- like pristine clean negative um, I, have, and I have that, that, that is oh, an do interesting you? question yeah. like the the so the color spectrum on on a television is made up of rgb um and, and that's the same as as film but technicolor did something different did technicolor I mean? was was um I mean, there there are color. There is a kind of diagram for the the kind of range of colors you can get out of most video, most TV screens, which yes. is why the iPad col- can give you a wider range. Well, what of colors iPad is sRGB okay. as a as a color space, and now like the Ron's new TV, you, the just OLED said TV, some letters, which means S- nothing. So sRGB. Um, you've said it again. Th- you've not explained it, there, but I mean, you've just said it for the sake of the listener. I will link a really good video that I found explaining how the Technicolor process works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically what it was was a gigantic fucking camera that shot three reels of film at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then they were exposed for 
those Red, individual green. colors. Okay. And then they were there was a positive made. There was okay. made a reversal color. Mm-hmm. And then those things were all shot together again onto a single reel of film to get a matched version. Okay. But and the reason that they did it, like if you look, if you put a Technicolor film side by side with a, a like a regular shot, you'd have got film, a richer, you get it. Yeah, but it's not. It's it's almost. Surreal? It's almost surreal. Yeah, like yeah. I'll, uh, uh, Wizard of Oz. All the color scenes in Wizard of Oz yeah. were shot in Technicolor. Yeah, um, no candy colored. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah, it's very vibrant, very punchy. Yeah. Um, Too much so. Yeah, I, th- I love how it looks. Yeah, I, I it's, mean, it's it's doesn't look like anything else. Uh-huh. Uh, whenever Technicolor was shot well, and everything that was shot uh, by the archers in Technicolor, there was a a cameraman called Jack Cardiff was the person who did most of the shooting for, for their stuff, and like they've made documentaries about him because he basically invented how this stuff is supposed to look. Yeah, um, but it's the, yeah, the, those movies look like nothing else, especially um, A Matter of Life and Death and The Red Shoes, which is. The, the third of their movies yeah. that I think is, is, is the, you know, the undisputed. Yeah. Can, can so you simulate Technicolor in, in the tools that you use now? Um, I mean, there are... Sort of do, do a Yeah, LUTs are... Well, LUTs is, is the lookup table on what it is, basically a, a file of mathematical data uh-huh. that is your RGB um, values. Okay. And what it does is it takes the image from... Uh, one usually it takes one the image from one color space into another color okay. space. So cameras these days will shoot log, which is a very pasty, yeah. low low saturation, low contrast image, and you want to pump that up and, and bring mm-hmm. it. The reason they shoot that is to give you the most detail in the image that you yeah. can. Your blacks have plenty right, of detail. Your highlights have range. any yeah. have plenty of detail, but yeah. so because of that, that it's really stretched. Yeah, yeah. So you you crush all that back down, and I would use a lot to to get it into Rec Seven Hundred Nine, which is your TV viewing. Right. Which is your TV this is a lot viewing of stuff color space? There will I be know a quiz it. afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can get lots that will give you like the bleach bypass look and the cinema and the All right, yeah, and, yeah. and those sort. Of, they so essentially they're, they're Instagram like, filters. For they're your basically film. Instagram filters, and they're, they're and done exactly the same way. You know? And a lot of them are built by the same people. They went yeah. to um, to various people like Denver Denver Riddle, who's a quite a well known. Um, kind of does color tutorials stuff like that he built the uh, instagram lut packs or the instagram filter packs for video uh, but the problem with luts is that you have to shoot in a certain way for them to work hmm. right if you, you like if you slightly underexpose and you slap the bleach bypass look on all of a sudden it doesn't look like bleach bypass and you're left with okay how do i fix this hmm. because everything is happening inside that little file yeah. and the control that you have either, uh, outside it's, of it is, is, is quite limited yeah um, so you, you can replicate it both manually and with a lot. Okay. Um, you need to be pretty. Uh, you need to be pretty skillful to replicate yeah. it manually. But at the same, I suppose time, if you replicate it manually, the big problem is then if you if you have three or four different shots, trying to keep them consistent. With matching each other. it is is, the, is the match it for any for even the most simple color p- yeah. color pass. Matching camera to camera is always going to be the biggest yeah. thing. And the next thing somebody shoots on a. A different camera format, yeah, and, and then everything and everything shot to hell. Yeah. It's a nice um, example of that in uh, Martin Scorsese's the, the Aviator, where he tried to every every period in the film he tried to get a film look that looked like that period. Okay, so there is a Technicolor period, like whenever they're in this massive, uh, it's a sort of a big lavish nightclub, and there's a scene where Jude Law is eating peas, and the peas look blue, yeah, <laughs> because that's the way that green would have come out yeah. on Technicolor. So it's a it's a it, it is. It's an aesthetic, but I mean, like aside from that, 
what did you think of the film? Well, we should really. So, what we did, we watched The Matter of well, Life and talk, Death. Let's <laughs> talk about right. So, A Matter of Life and Death is about a pilot whose name is. It is uh, Peter Carter. Peter Carter, who is we open essentially we open up in a kind of what the universe is in this this film. This world. oh yeah, it was a really nice intro. Yeah, it was a really nice intro. And, and then we kind of cut to the pilot who's who's about to crash and die. Yeah, and he's got a dead body of his his friend beside him, and he he opens up a radio communication to uh, Kim Hunter, the actress Kim Hunter, who I who only I, I don't know why it took me this long to realize it plays uh, uh, one of the apes in Planet of the Apes. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, which is a weird kind of who doesn't who doesn't sound anything close to American in this but film. But she is American. I, I know it yeah. just she yeah. She's got that sort of weirdly clipped English all, civil all accent. All I can think that is that she was she was living in England. Yeah, and yeah. she must have picked up how just English pe- people sound. Yeah. So anyway, they, they have a brief dalliance on on uh, a radio, and where he goes, "I'm about to die. Don't you know? Think fondly of me, and uh, tally ho, pip pip, what what." And then I find that over a bit really moving, though. It's like yeah, it, it is. It is kind of. I think you have to buy into. There's. It's kind of st- her. Most of her dialogue, most of her delivery is very stilted. I find it's very stagey or stilted. Yes. Or very kind of oldy worldly. His feels a wee bit warmer, a wee bit more kind of modern. I think maybe. his dialogue changes a lot from the first scene. Yeah. Between the first scene and the rest of the film, yeah. like he doesn't really speak like that yeah. again, and I think that's—I don't know whether that's an intentional. Like, I think it's like that sort of British stiff up our lip, you know, yeah. we're about to die. Yeah, he's, he's almost well, brave. Let me, let me, he's yeah, almost I, rambling. I want to—I want to recap the plot very quickly. Yeah, yeah, okay, just okay, before okay. we even get into it, which which is almost impossible. <laughs> he he uh, falls madly. He lands, uh, plane crashes. He should have died, but didn't. Uh, he meets her, falls madly in love. They have twenty-four hours together, and then. What amounts to an angel uh, kind of uh, person? I mean, he's basically arrives, the, he says, uh, "I am here to collect your soul. You're late, and you should come back." He goes, "Well, it's, you know, you should have collected me 24 hours ago. I've now fallen in love, and you need to. T- I I demand that I'm allowed to live to be with this person I love, and that's kind of the. So the he gets the it. opportunity to appeal to the well, yeah, to the higher I, court. I, I want to talk about that very first scene when he lands on the beach. He's on the beach, and he sort of wakes up on the beach, and he starts walking. And he sees some uh, goats, and and he sees a little a little boy playing a flute, and the boy's sitting there naked, butt naked, butt naked, and it's got this weird, I, I, I it's mean, a sort of ethereal sort yeah, of quality. Yeah, and he it's assu- almost like he assumes he's in heaven. He assumes he's in heaven, and I think you're sort of watching it. I'm not sure why naked f- boys make him think of heaven. Oh no, no, it's a Greek, it's a Greek thing <laughs> a Greek to me. Thing, that's course, it. Yeah. That's pan, and or like you know, what do you call it? Like the uh, cherubs, like yeah, the little, little, little cherub, like yeah. a little cherub. So yeah. I mean, uh, and him being naked is part of that as well. If he were clothed, you would instantly go, "There's a little boy sitting on the beach." The fact that he's naked is part of that kind of yeah. makes it feel like am I in a, am I in the real world? I should be dead. I know I should be dead, but there's that great scene where he's sort of walking along the beach and discarding items yeah, of clothing I as he that. as he comes along. And it, and it's it's really matter of fact. It's like, oh my shoe, you've got to take that off. Yeah, he just discards everything. Yeah, from he just his takes everything. Life. Yeah, so it's it's kind of it's really interesting. And then uh, he meets a little boy, and the little boy's playing a flute, and it's very clearly filmed. Like you're right, you're like Pan or something. This is what you are, and that, and and so it it leads you to think maybe he is in heaven, maybe this is that. And then he goes, oh, no, no, there's like an herb. The, the guy, you want to go this way? Yeah, and he, yeah, and hey, he asks... And he goes, the, where the hell am I? Yeah, yeah and he asks where, where the woman's house is. Is, yeah. is, is such and such house where the, where the yeah, woman where that the he's been on the... Um, oh, yeah, mate, it's over there. It's a, yeah, it's <laughs> just round that bend. There you go. Away you go. And then he runs out, meets her. Uh, he meets her. She's on a bike for some <laughs> reason. And he goes, is, is that you? Yes, it's me. Ooh, 
little smoochy and it's kind of which is a little yeah. you know shoehorned in is there only one woman on this station what's going on well she uh, was she she was on the station she's uh, the last voice last she, voice he, he she, heard she's on oh, she's, she's on the she's on the radio station yeah, she's manning it at that home. time yeah. and then she's cycling back home after yeah. her shift you know yeah. so yeah and then um and then a little kind of love affair starts from there yeah and um and then we sort of cut to, to the pearly gates as it were in that it's good. There's an awful lot of films around that period where heaven is represented. I kind of, I love those films where heaven is sort of represented as a bureaucracy. Yeah, it's not quite a real. It's like yeah. there are things we've got to do. And the numbers to have to add up, and you're not here. And where are you and stuff? Where his his um, navigator, who was we last saw, open eyed, dead on the plane, is now kind of waiting for him to turn up. And that's where you start seeing the black and white of the of the afterlife in it, all run by women. I, I noticed. Well, I mean, there was some some bureaucracy of men there, but yes, the women were in charge they of the filing and the, of, yeah, the general bureaucracy. Of it. I mean, I think I think you know one of the more interesting choices in the film is that heaven is in black and white, and the real life was in color. Yeah, as if to say, and that they dissolve. This, the, this is the thing that matters well, is the color yeah, life. You know, yeah, and heaven is devoid of color. There's a very pointed reference to that later on when. Yes. Is it Conductor we're, we're, 74, I think 71, yeah. 71. Conductor 71 is, 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 appears on Earth and he sees a flower and he goes, ah, Technicolor. We're like, star for Technicolor. We're star for Technicolor, which is a nice little advert for Technicolor as well, <laughs> yes. but, but also a kind of pointed reference to, you know, the real real world. Yes, heaven is this great, amazing thing, but also what you've got here is pretty good too and you should look after it and you should yeah. just kind of, uh, you know, enjoy it and, and stuff and embrace it. And um, I, I was, I kind of afterwards. There are all these little interesting choices I think that are made. Um, even that she's an American, he's a Brit. Even these little things. Yeah. I, I read a review and I read a uh, an essay about it afterwards, talking about how Paul and Bressberger were were asked to make this film specifically because, as the war was coming to an end, there was a concern that America and Britain, who had developed this great relationship during the war, would find themselves on opposite sides. I mean, the, you know, d- not necessarily America and, and um, Britain would become like Russia and, and Britain, but, I mean, they were allies that became enemies. And so it wasn't unreasonable to think, if we don't do something to maintain this special relationship, then it, this is a way it could go, um, even though we have all this common ground. Uh, but And so Paul and Pressburger were asked to do this, and that's that's kind of, there's a message in that film about how America is built of British immig- immigrants. Yeah. Um, there's the the scene later where uh, he is up in heaven making his case, or or rather he's not up in heaven well, yes, making they, his they, case. Where know, they get the wonderful Roger Livesey. Yeah, Ro- Roger Livesey's kind of standing. The man is a fucking chameleon. He really is. He doesn't look anything <laughs> no, like Colonel if, Blimp, does if it he? hadn't have been for his voice. Yeah. Uh, hello uh, there, uh, uh, I would not have pegged that he was Colonel Candy from from Colonel Blimp. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's a phenomenal actor. Yeah, he's together. terrific. He's, I mean, he's the best thing in it. Yeah, he's I, the be- I, I'd say but, it a lot because there's a lot uh, of yeah, good yeah. There's, in no, it. And there's there's nothing bad in it, but uh, he also has a thing for clearly being in love with his the other male leads woman because <laughs> in this film he is all over her like a rash. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. Well, yeah, but he's always also he also seems a bit sort of not that concerned with with. With the the physical end of it, and just likes her though. It's yeah, like yeah. I'm enjo- I enjoy her company. She's I, nice. I kind of choose but to read him as a gay man. To be honest, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Like he says, he says, why don't you come around and um, you know, and like stay with me? Like she only comes leathers on the bike. You know? <laughs> 
she only comes around to borrow a book and she reads too damn slow. It would be nice to have her around more and me and you will have a drink and we'll figure out all this. Yeah, uh, we'll this, talk about this, these we'll talk complex about this, women, you and I, together. Talk about, this, talk about this story that we're, we're going to concoct for this. I do have a question about the, the, the film as an overall piece, but I want to make sure you guys are... Um, you're not going to sound stupid, is what you're asking? No, no, no. I, I, it, may, it may well come across as stupid, Scott, but I do have a question. Go ahead. With go your ahead. question. You're in a safe space here. Is there a chance it's all in his head? Yes. yes. Good. Yeah, I mean, it's Good. very clear. You know, in I don't fact, think it's in fact, the opening, the opening crawl says this is a, a story about two worlds, one that we live in and one that's inside a man's head. Right. But um, that doesn't necessarily follow because we see lots of things happen in heaven that he has no awareness of. Yeah. He's only aware of whenever a Conductor 71 comes to Earth and tells him yeah, he's so, going to go so back. So if you haven't seen the film, then part of it is that... Um, he has had clearly had some sort of brain thing going on over six months previous yeah. to this, uh, previous to him. Pers- yeah, because they say so that he, he got a, a concussion but with no symptoms, and yeah. apparently that's a, an alarm bell for yeah. for so future he's having, kind of it's brain really reckoning some sort of hallucinatory experience, which yeah. all backs up with what uh, isn't it? Frank is the, is Roger Livesey's yeah. character's name, uh, who ha- happens accidentally to be a top neurosurgeon. Yeah, just coincidentally, um, but. It, I think it 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 does that thing where, um, it the uh, the 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 kind of heavenly stuff and the real world stuff, they match they match up. They yeah. you know the, there is one and the other can both exist in parallel and also have an impact on either or. You know, it, it doesn't need to be it's in his head or it's not in his head. Well, it can both be true. Yeah, I mean, my favorite conceit in the film is the is the notion that you know when he's on Earth. Frank is his advocate for hmm. for his health and to get, yeah. to get him looked at, and then Frank dies all of a sudden in a bike crash, and then Frank is his Frank's legal a very ad- careless driver. Frank becomes his legal advocate. He yeah. is the person arguing the for his for his uh, yeah. for his life in heaven. Yeah, well, that, it's that that scene I was going to talk I was going to talk about earlier where uh, they have the American jurors because clearly what's happened is the 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 prosecutor is a played by oh God what is his name. He's very good at um, it. Um, Ma- uh, he is the Tommy Lee Jones of his day. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he, uh, the prosecutor in it, uh, is a sort of an American, very anti-British character. He was killed, killed by a Brit during the Civil War. Yeah. Um, the uh, War of Independence. War, War, of War of Independence. Sorry. And has a real bee in his bonnet about Brits and and uh, Yanks getting together. And so the jury is made up with of different nations from around the world where who, who Britain have event have in one way or another shafted. Yeah. You know? So um there's uh, there's India, China, uh Russia. Yeah. Um there's an Irish guy. There is an Irish guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and Pointedly. And they don't even say anything about him, you know. He just stands <laughs> up and goes, oh, yeah. sure, sure, I'm really early. <laughs> it's, it's it's so, you know, uh, was it something monarchan from uh, from Ireland? And the the prosecutor just looks at Roger Lives like <laughs> do, you to, yeah. do you need me to say anything here? <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, and it's kind of a basically saying, look, we're Americans, and here's every country in the world hates you English. So yeah. this is it. And then it kind of goes, well, um, look, I can pick a new jury, can't I? And so he goes, well, I'll pick a jury of Americans. And then, of course, the jury of Americans are all exactly the same original nationalities as the jurors, but they're all Americans, they're ju- yeah, they're just suggesting American that, that America itself is sort of made up of, of these different elements. Well, yeah, like and, just and a bastardized nation yeah. of, of immigrants yeah. and, and whatever. And I, there, I find all of that, like, really engaging. Yeah. I find the end a little easy. The end does wrap up a bit quick. 
It wraps yeah. up a bit quick, and it seems like such an obvious and simple way of... of but but of... probably because you've seen umpteen films that have been inspired by a matter of life and yeah. death since. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the legal argument hinges on, could he possibly have fallen in love with this girl? Could she yeah. have fallen in love with him within 24 hours? And there's a very easy sort of, like, you know, would they sacrifice them, themselves yeah. for each other? And that's demonstrated, and everyone's happy that this has happened. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, the film probably could have could have could have withstood another half hour of legal argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, and yeah. it would have been br- it would have been brilliant. Yeah, if they had kept we up the kind of level of legal. Uh, yeah, the level of writing that they had in that fir- in that first kind of discourse between the prosecution yeah. and the defense was was excellent. Yeah, really, really interesting. I love the practical effects in that film. Oh my god! Oh, yeah, they were really, really good. Especially, there's so there's one scene like where they look down into the filing cabinets of heaven, yeah. and clearly it's just a tiny, tiny like scale model. Yeah, but it's uh, it really works. It really works. And then there's this awesome shot where they zoom out from the from the courtroom, and you realize that there's literally millions of people watching this. Yeah, yeah. And, and it ke- and it keeps going, and it, it, it ends up. It, it's, it's, a, a it's a galaxy, in yeah. the um, and then you end up with uh, uh, the galaxy. Then becomes front goes from black and white to color hmm. and then the staircase that's going up is still black yes, and white the, the, the literal stairway to heaven yeah you know, which, which is, is what the film is the called title. in some in america it's, it's called stairway, stairway to heaven, to heaven. Yeah. yeah because um, uh, from the essay i was reading they being just after the war the idea of calling a film death uh, you know a matter of life and death was just a, bit, a bit too, too much. much bit too much um, americans notoriously sensitive <laughs> was the, was uh, am i wrong because i i didn't rewind Probably. to watch it but i feel like i did see it do they fade from black and white into color or vice versa? There, in there, are one of the bits, there are some bits that do. There's a bit where his uh, his co-pilot guy in, I think, in the courtroom scene where he goes to color, even though everything around him is black and white. He actually goes Does to he? color. I think there is. A bit I, I remember. I think it's a fade. I think it's on his... the on the. on There may be a few dissolves. Yeah, I think there's a few dissolves into color. But I don't think they could do... Camera. Yeah, because that's what I was. No, I, well, I, I, I read a thing that said for a lot of the black and white stuff, what they actually did was. It, did you not say this to me on, tw- on Twitter? They filmed it in Technicolor and then processed it to be black and white, which is why the. Well, I only seen it for the first time yesterday. Oh, okay, so well, well, somebody said it to me that. But they could have they could have filmed it Technicolor that. and then process and then just instead of processing for yeah. color, they process for black they process and white. because yeah. there would be. You could use black and white film at the end. Yeah, yeah they, they just it. project it onto black and white yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, there, there, I think there probably would be a um, an aesthetic shift, even even though it's being converted to black yeah. and white from film that's shot in Technicolor and versus film that isn't. Yeah, um, even if they're both being processed black and white, I think there would be an aesthetic shift. So, did it hold for you? Because when we watched, um, I was kind of slightly concerned that some of the 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 stuff, like, because it was filmed in 1946, and we watched, uh, what do you call it? The, the Life and Death the, Colonel Blimp? No, no, the, the, the TV series with the, with um, Quatermass and the Pit. Oh, quick, quick yeah. That was filmed in the 50s, and yet somehow felt a little older. Well, well we know we know the stagier. reason We know the reason why that Which felt, because uh, Quatermass and the Pit. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah. So that, and that's why, and that's why, and that's so why the, the editing, editing is stilted, and yeah, that's so why the... So it was the editing you had a problem with? It, yeah, that? It's, yeah. And the, but it also the performances, because you can see at points they have to hold because yeah. the cameras haven't cut. Yeah. You know, so, so it's I'd love to just take one of those episodes and just cut tighten it, it up, yeah. just tighten it up ever yeah. so slightly. But uh, no, I think, no, the, there was nothing. I didn't have any problems uh, with that. I But I do find, I, I do have that with older films because some of the performances are a bit wooden and some of the, yeah. the that films that I should be 
reveling in that some of my peers would revel well, yeah, in that I, mean, I just kind are, of I struggle with them. But they are years before things like method acting and stuff like that became became sort of popular yeah. in America, where acting was very stagey because that's where your actors came from from yeah. the yeah. yeah. But the, 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 it's not present in either of these two films, and maybe it's just you know I I have I have good taste now, and so I need the best of the best. Well, I I think the archers are the best of the best, yeah. especially for the guards of British films. I think I don't think anyone was making better films than yeah. them. Uh, and I think the the fact that the films have survived and been restored and, and looked after so well is, is kind of testament there's, to that. There's some other other great bits in it I I like where the bit where he's having surgery and they go Peter come on out and he sort of ducks out from under and he kind of glances in yeah. at the surgery that's happening. It's just a lovely little kind of mo- just the way he kind of squeezes out from that yes. that bit's a lovely little moment. The acting. When they walk through the plate glass window oh, from really the sur- from the surgery effect, yeah. out into the hallway, yeah, I'm not really sure how they did that. Animation, I, I'm I, not I, like. Animation, I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of these. If, are, it, it looked painted on. It looked painted on I mean, to the it, frame, so I think they painted it. But on no, to the you frame. can see whenever they come through, they. Yeah. They come through. It's like walking through the Stargate. Their nose comes through. Yeah, but they that's come what I'm saying. If it's painted on as an animation, if you paint it cell by cell, then you can not paint it where you want yeah. to not paint it. it. Lo- I mean, it as they walk through it, they could just kind of looked a little out. bit green screeny. But I know that that wasn't really well. There was definitely a couple of moments of uh, blue screen earlier on in the film. Like, yeah, or, or some sort of rear projection because the, the moment where she she first arrives in the village to go into his uh, camera obscura room. You can see that she's not quite in the background that she walks up the stairs. Though, yeah, mm. you know, there's something. It seems like a rear well, projection or something behind her. The camera obscure thing looks. Bit, so the camera obscure is, is uh, Roger Livesey's character has a room which he's got a. Ca- it's really weird. Why would he have that? He's, he's got this weird room where he can see everything that's happening around the village. Okay, it's just that weird sort of like, like man of character. man of science type character yeah. where they're always into everything. And yeah, I think there is an element of he is a. He is a man who is aware of lots of things going on but around it, him. But it feels like like there's a decision made there about what that room is and why they're in that room, and it's and it's it's a conscious decision in the same way that, for example, uh, whenever the staircase comes down and the, the the court and everything comes down and they summon Peter to stand before him, he's in the outfit he died in. Yeah, he's, he's in, in his in flight, suit, his flight yeah. suit. And she is in her sort of military suit. It's like their their best moment. That that mm. was the moment they were at their best, and that's the the clothing that they've put them in for that moment, and it kind of that feels like a conscious choice rather than just because earlier whenever Peter's kind of summoned out of the operating theater, he's in his he's, pajamas, he's or in something his pajamas, like that, yeah, uh, and then later on whenever they're they're down at the operating theater, he's in his flight suit. So there's there's kind of a a deliberate choice being made, mm. and you and I think I think sometimes it's. Like there's always a deliberate choice being made when you're making a film. Your every choice is deliberate, but some of them have no real thought other than yeah, do that. That's yeah. Fine. Or or yeah, this is the most convenient thing. I actually forgot about like the, the the weird kind of camera room that he had where he was kind of keeping an eye on time. But he he explained it by I can diagnose an awful lot of what I need just, just, just by, by watching, just by watching. Yeah, what's but, but even I mean, it's I suppose it speaks to his character, doesn't yeah. it? Really, and and um, it just seems a weird thing. How other super than creepy ham- he is. <laughs> Rather than having him say sitting in a lounge reading He's a book, terrible at table tennis as well. <laughs> yes, and some of the, like the, those bits where they freeze time and they're, they're yeah. Kind of I was a little disappointed. So I was a little disappointed. There is some because I knew there because they're they're just holding their position. They are holding the position, but in I knew when they were playing table tennis, and I got excited. I was like, 
they're going to do something fun here with yeah. the, with time stopping. But all they do is freeze the frame yeah. whenever they're because they're they're kind of side onto the table. And in my head, I was like, oh shit, the ball's going to stop when it's on. But it was just a freeze frame, and you can tell that it's a that it's a still image. You can yeah, tell yeah. that it's a freeze frame. Although not not the there's a there's a reverse shot. Or no, the reverse shots. The, the singles on both of them are them just Making standing. Really hold, weird faces. Yeah, no, no, Roger well, Roger face whenever he's trying to hit the ball. There is really funny. But yeah. the side angle, the, the wide shot of both yes. of them and the, the table the one is one a freeze on Roger frame. Lousy is him standing stock still. Yes. The one on Kim Hunter is yes, hers not is a, yes, a freeze frame. Is a freeze Maybe frame she as couldn't well. do it. Yeah, yeah. Might well but do she it. did it later on when she's standing and looking Roger in the Roger operating theatre. weird pose where he's yeah. got one hand kind of... And his eyes are really funny. big and white and <laughs> up in his head. And you I wonder if there's like a gag reel. And they went, right, that's the one we're having. I wonder if there's like a gag reel or if they're... Subtly, yeah, yeah. subtly <laughs> shows what time to end that one. If I, if I Ron tr- made six signals. Yeah, <laughs> Scott goes, huh? What? What's that? <laughs> I try to make a subtle motion towards Scott that, yeah, I should probably move on to the next section now. <laughs> Scott goes, what are you saying to me, Ron? What's, what's going on here? Hold the phone. Uh, what does this winding hand signal you're making mean? Well, right, so it's a what brilliant was, film, yes. and we recommend yeah, everyone goes. It's see very, it. very good. Maybe in a future episode we will visit uh, the Red Shoes, which I think is the is the third. I mean, I'm very much inclined to watch their entire oeuvre. Well, I think every film of theirs is worth watching. There's maybe some of the earlier ones are a bit rougher, mm. uh, and obviously Michael Powell. Well, the partnership ended. I'm trying to think sometime in the fifties, and then Michael Powell made um, Peeping Tom. Okay. Which it's is, a well known film. It's a well known film that ended his career. Okay. Because it it's is Roger Livesey's character in <laughs> <laughs> more fully yeah. explored. Well, he, he, Peeping Tom came out the same year as Psycho. Um but it, it is a I think and it's a movie I saw when I was very young. Yeah. Um but it is a essentially a proto slasher film yeah. about it. and the the reason why it's disturbing is because a lot of the time you the the movie forces you to take the position of the the murderer yeah. in the film, which at the time was a new thing. Yeah. Um, now that's obviously in slasher films going forward, that became like yeah. the you know the, the point. Yeah, of view like that that, that tracking shot out of the cupboard or out of the yeah. you know down the hall or whatever as the the killer. But basically, I mean, he made that film, and the British the British uh, movie press decided that it was a vile a vile piece of filth and. Uh, Essentially, he made it, made it so that he could never work again, mm-hmm. and his movie his movie career was over. And he ended up having to go to America to work on other things, but he didn't, he never made anything as, as important again. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, we you know we probably will sort of uh, trip through some of their other films over, over time. Can- okay. Can- the Canterbury Tales a very good film as well. Oh, okay. All right. Well, should we move on to pick of the week? Pick of the week. Yes. Pick of the week. Will I go first? Go ahead. <laughs> I recommend. Uh, right. The last time I was in New York Comic Con. I went to the M&M shop in New York and I bought, I've told you this story before, but I don't know if our listeners have heard it before. I went to the M&M shop and I and they have in New York uh, peanut butter M&Ms. Oh, which, yes. Which are amazing. A friend, my friend at work went to um, Las Vegas on a stag do about two weeks ago mm-hmm. and brought back at the M&M like party pack yeah and it was six or seven bags of m&ms but all in the different flavors oh, right, that okay. they do so we basically sat around work at lunchtime and did like Table, a round table and all had a, a go and the peanut butter ones are amazing they are amazing you can get them on amazon well i i had bought the, them before in previous visits to new york and i went in i was with a friend of mine and gordon and i was slightly i, I do this thing where i'm slightly showing off and i'm slightly a bit not drunk but kind of 
full of my own exuberance, and I was like going, hey, come and see. They've got these big spouts, and you can, uh, you, I've seen littler ones now in, in the UK, but they had these giant machines, or big spouts, where you could just put a bag underneath and fill it up with yeah. whatever flavors you wanted, any combination of flavors. And I went, what did you see? And I filled up a bag with M&Ms, and these are not small bags. These are big fucking huge bags. I filled it up to the brim. <laughs> <laughs> like it was completely burst, and I went, oh, it's a bit full. And you can't put them back in. <laughs> <laughs> so so I got a second bag and half filled it. I went, that's how I'll do two bags. I went up to pay for it. And you're paying by weight. <laughs> and the guy went, ding, 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 ding. Clocked it up and went, $100. $100 in M&M's? Yes. About $100 worth of paid up. One sixth of your spending money in New York. Went this on was no, M&Ms? This, was, this was in 2010. Oh, right, okay. okay so in that okay. point, 2010. So I inflation has made it about $120 <laughs> worth now. Um, if, if only I'd kept the M&Ms. And I was like, and I didn't want, I mean, I didn't go, <laughs> no. No, I just went, okay. Just, <laughs> I paid for them. You just run, run out of the shop up. at that point. So when I came home, everyone had peanut butter M&Ms for, from New York, which is still amazing. No regrets. Okay. So this time I was in New York and I wasn't going near the M&M store, but on the in the airport on the flight bag uh, back they had big kind of um, big big bags of M&Ms that were sort of um, like you know family size nearly you know but just one big bag and so I bought two bags of peanut butter M&Ms for twenty dollars yeah. and I took them home. They lasted three days. <laughs> <laughs> they were great peanut butter M&Ms. That's my Other, pick of I, the week. I can also recommend the almond ones where they make no them thank you with almonds instead of peanuts. No thank you. Very nice. No. Okay. How about you, Scott? My pick of the week. I'm just going to get the presenter's name. Um, is a podcast called Slow Burn. Okay. Um, it's. Made by the the you website. You look stupid. <laughs> That's a slow burn. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's what you're paying for on the show. <laughs> you're paying nothing. I know. <laughs> That's what you get. Yeah, you get nothing. Um, it's made by the website Slate. Okay. okay. Um, and uh, slow burn is basically they've done two seasons so far. I'm listening to the first season, which is eight episodes on the Watergate scandal. Okay. Um, yeah. And it does it in. So it's they're very uh, real very, time. No, <laughs> very popular are uh, podcasts like Dan Carlin's yeah. Hardcore History yeah. and so like five hours per. Yeah, episode. exactly. Like five, six, seven hours per episode. These are twenty-five to forty-five minutes. Okay, bite-sized chunks yeah. of what happened post Watergate in the hearings. Okay, um, they're really good. They're really, really well researched, and they have really good interviews and the um. The presenter, whose name for some reason doesn't appear in the uh, in the notes for the shows, um, is is terrific. Mm. They find them really interesting, really compelling. And season two is uh, the saga of Bill Clinton's impeachment. Okay, uh, which I'm really looking forward to getting onto as well. But I've I've done the first seven episodes, I think, in season one, and I'm really enjoying it. Okay, good. Uh, as if you're not sick of politics in the real world. <laughs> but it's odd. But it, it, people said, "Oh, well, was a uh, better of, time of what?" No, they said. Well, they said of Watergate, nobody really at the time understood that they were watching the yeah. biggest. Pol- even one, even once yeah. the biggest bombshells came out, they never uh, understood. It wasn't until long after. It they wasn't got until like long after, and it kind of feels like that's what we're in yeah. at the yeah. minute. Mm. Well, I'm going to recommend the new album by Gunship. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard Gunship. They are a couple of guys who used to be in this band called Fight Star. 
Oh, I remember uh, Firestar with uh, the guy, one of the guys from Busted. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. None of these, none of these things mean <laughs> anything to me at all. So uh, basically, as a side project, whenever they were in Firestar, they started this uh, group that they what they do is like eighties synthwave type stuff. Okay. okay. So all There's the music. There's a lot of 80s synthwave stuff coming. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a, pop, a popular years, genre in the last yeah. sort of few years. Um, the, their first album, um, which was just called Gunship, I loved. It had a voiceover from John Carpenter in one of the tracks. Um, they're just really, really well put together. Um, sort of, they sound like little sort of 80s sci-fi action movie soundtracks. Okay. And uh, the new album, which is called Dark All Day, is just as good. It's really, really. Um, uh, it's, it's lots of fun stuff in it. Like they, they have the the title track of the album, Dark All Day, has got uh, a lot of saxophone in it from the guy who actually played the saxophone in Lost Boys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, the, they, they make a lot of videos for all the songs. So I'll probably link to the video for Dark All Day. But yeah, they make these really good animated videos for it. So they have this animated sax guy. And then at one point in the video, then it just turns to real life. And there he is. And all of his muscly uh, being covered in spots of blood glory, playing <laughs> the saxophone, playing the most amazing sax solo. Um, I really love Gunship. And I think uh, they should do our soundtrack from now on. Have you never done any 80 synthwave stuff? I have. Have you? Um, I have. I've, I've fiddled around with it in the past. <gasps> um, do you know it would be amazing for next week's show? What do you want? Be out, uh, around <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> around Halloween. It's a Halloween episode. It would be amazing if we had an 80 synth wave Halloween version of our song. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> no promises. No, but that would be cool. I have a favor to ask. I get lambasted when PJ asks you to write a new song. Yeah, but that's a fun thing. <laughs> and I mean, also optional. It still Yours has to be clearly... the same song. Yeah. Oh, it still yeah, has yeah. to be Keep on the Sunny Side, but I'll try and make it spoopy. Spoopy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's been uh, this week's show. Again, sorry for a break, but hopefully. I'm you're not stuck sorry. With us. We needed a break. You probably needed a break too. I really needed a break. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I don't think I could have made it through a show last week without coughing or spluttering. So. <laughs> and I've discovered people hate that. I did yeah. a YouTube video where I had a little bit of a cough and coughed a little bit through it. And the complaints from people going, oh, if only you shouldn't have coughed. Why were you it's so hard to listen to? I'm going, I did it for fucking free. <laughs> what do you want from me? You didn't have to listen to any of it. Fuck off. Anyway. But, yeah, so we'll see you next week. That's our show. Bye. There's a dark and a troubled satellite. There's a bright and a sunny side, too. But though we meet with the darkness and stride, the sunny side we also with you. Keep on the sunny side, always on. Bolt and lightning, very, very, very frightening, frightening me. Tell Is it still heating? Still the heat. The heat is on. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> on the streets. Remember that was a Caligas Well, the, the only Caligas advert I remember is Walter loves color. <laughs> Do you remember that one? Nope. No, you're very young. I forget. <laughs>
It's the, young, the age weekend. difference doesn't make any difference until you talk about things that happened in the early days. Like, do you remember? Pre-mark, got a whole lot of things for Christmas. Got a lot for the family. That's the cornerstone of my argument that it's pre-mark and not primark. Yeah. Do you remember so, that? that no. So? Oh, that was the early... Can you find that on YouTube? I cannot find that on YouTube. I also, I it also, I'm convinced Primark used to sell more than just clothes. Are you thinking of fancy? Because they are you must have done, because how else would they say, Gifts. got a whole lot of things for Christmas? A whole lot of things for Christmas? Yeah. A lot for the high They don't go, Primark has a whole lot of clothes for Christmas. <laughs> that well, that's because be. that would be a terrible song. Well, do, you remember, do you remember Castle Court had a song? No. Why are we recording any of this? We're recording that. Oh, no. thank God. Right, okay. Yeah, do you not remember the Castle Court song? This is gold. This is gold. Super specifically weird gold. Yeah. Right, Castle Court song? No. No, I don't. But Castle Court's not that old. Yeah, so but I remember I they had Castle a TV Court. ad. Okay. Castle Court is for us all. <laughs> it's for you and me. <laughs> no? Just me? Just for yeah, you. Just for you. <laughs> just for you. 